If this is your first time, welcome. I apologize for the bad jokes. Um, but my name is Simon. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we have been just pushing into God's word in 1 John. And you may be like, this is like this is different than churches I've been. We want to be a church that is worshiping God in prayer, in song. And we know that life isn't rainbows and butterflies all the time. And so, but we have a God who is big and is powerful and we cry out to him. And so you're like, it's kind of a heavy morning. It is a little bit. It really is. But you know what? We have a God who can handle that. And so we want to petition him as we push into areas that are hard for us to understand. So as we've been moving in, uh, we're kind of like past that halfway point in 1 John. We're going to kind of end at, at Easter will be our last section. We'll be in 1 John for Easter as we get there. Uh, we are very, very excited about Easter coming up. And the staff has been planning and thinking. And we've been putting in extra hours already to develop something that would be very memorable, that we can reach out to neighbors and friends. And so we want to encourage you to be thinking about who am I praying for that I could invite to come to Good Friday? Who could I invite to come to Easter this year? We really want you to be doing that. Um, as we've been moving into this next section, John has been kind of laying some foundational work in 1 John. But one of the things that comes up this week as we move into his, uh, this section of Scripture is discernment. And, you know, discernment is something that it feels like everybody wants, that everybody desires, and um, maybe it's in short supply nowadays. If you've watched the world, you go, there seems to be no discernment whatsoever. But anytime we start to identify that there are areas that we desire, want, are trying to strive for, I always ask the question, why? Why do we want discernment? What about discernment is something that draws us in? And you got to start to ask, it's, we don't want to be fooled. We don't want to be tricked. We don't want to follow a lie. We don't want to be led astray. And, and if we are fooled, it means that we become foolish. And we don't want to be foolish. We want to know that what we believe is true and that we're following something that has depth and meaning to it. See, John has been answering questions, whether you realize it or not, nonstop since we started this book. That there are men and women that are in a very difficult spot because they've been hearing some different teaching at this point and they're starting to doubt their very salvation. They're starting to doubt if Jesus is truly the way that they can have salvation because of these false teachers that have come in and started spreading lies and confusion and doubt. And so what John has been doing as he's been walking through this, he's showing that there are evidences in the life of a believer that can let you know that, yes, you are saved. Yes, you are secure. And so whether you want to call them this or not, it's almost like they're these little tests that we can live out in our lives that let us know that we are saved. And so in 1 John 1, 6, it says that we'll live a righteous life, that we'll be striving for a life that is not full of sin, that we see sin, we kill sin, and we move towards righteousness. In 1 John 2, 4, it says that we will keep his commands. As we read God's word, as we understand what he's called us to, that we are trusting God with our lives. And so if God is the God of the universe, if he is perfect and true and holy, that if he says that this is good and this is bad, we want to believe him in that. And he's saying, so we'll start to obey his commandments as we live out this faith that we've called in Jesus. In 1 John 2, 10, it says that we would start to love others. 
that we would see our brothers and sisters in Christ and we would show them love. The idea that we're praying for brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now is evidence that we love them and we care for them, that it breaks our heart knowing that they are going through difficulties in this moment. And not only would it just be within the church, that that love would pour out to others around us. In uh, 1 John 2, 12 through 14, it says that we would mature, that we would grow in our faith. That as we start to walk with Jesus, we'll start to see that we'll look more and more like the one who saved us. That we will become mature, that we won't look the same as we did last week, last month, last year when you first came to Christ, that there will be progress, progressive sanctification in our lives as we move forward. And in 1 John 2, 15, we saw that we would not love the world, that we would actually be falling out of love with the world is is really what he's saying, that once we just used to love the world and what it was, but now we don't, that we would not love the world like we used to. And this week, Where he's going to land is that what we believe about Jesus is highly important. That there is a truth about Jesus and who he is and what he did and what he's fulfilled that is evidence of true believers. And so, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 18 through 27. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, the, the passage will be up there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you're like, man, I just I don't even have a Bible, we have free Bibles in the back for you. We, we encourage you, please grab one, take one, read, follow along. We want you to know God's Word. But let's start here in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour... And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that is, might become, uh, they went out, that is, might become plain that they are, <laughs> all are not of us. It's a tough morning. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, Word gymnastics here. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he taught you, abide in him. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, I thank you for this passage, this scripture. I I thank you that I've uh, had the opportunity to wrestle through it all week and to really think about it and and what you're saying and what you're doing. I, I do ask that as we... Uh, sit here and, and we sit under your word that you would open our eyes and our hearts to the truth, 
if there are things that maybe we're struggling with, with the assurance of our salvation as believers, that you would bring us to a point where we could understand the assurance that we have, that our, 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 our souls are secure in you, Jesus. And maybe for those uh, men and women that aren't here uh, in a place where they're worshiping you today, that maybe today would be the day that they would see you as, as, as the Christ, the Lord, our Lord and Savior. Or those watching online would see that and they would, they would want to turn their lives to you and trust and believe in you. Holy Spirit, I do ask that if there are things that I, um, are not going to be helpful, that you would take those away from my notes and my mind and my words and that you would allow us uh, to be illuminated by your truth. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, so there's obviously a word in here that perks up everyone's attention. Can we just get that on the table? The word antichrist is this. I'd be like, oh, there we go. End times. What's going to happen? Like, where are we going with this? Well, we're not really going there that much today, to be actually perfectly honest. But we need to understand what John wants to do. And John's going to go back and forth a couple of times in this passage. He's going to start with the Antichrist and, and what's going on there. Then he's going to shift his, his uh, focus to the true believers. Then he's going to go back to the Antichrist and give a, a larger definition of what that looks like. And then he's going to spend the last chunk of time on true believers that love and worship Jesus and what that means for us. And so that's kind of the pattern that we're going to follow today as we go through this. Now, right off the bat, we get into the spot where it says, it is the last hour. And we got to ask the question, what does that mean, the last hour? Like, this seems like this book was written kind of a long time ago. Like, how long's an hour? Because maybe they just don't understand the interpretation of what an hour means. But you need to understand the Bible is broken up into these four main parts. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, or you can replace restoration with new creation if you want to. You can throw that one there. Those, those both work. And the reality is we saw creation in the book of... Whew, you guys are batting a thousand. And then we saw the fall in the book of... I really teed you up so you wouldn't fail there. But then we see restoration, which takes place right after chapter 3, all the way to the end, right? So that's where we are now, is that, that God is, he is, he is uh, there's a redemptive process that's taking place in the world that the Old Testament spoke of this, this one that would come, that would save, that would make all things right. And so they would talk about, he would come from here, and he'd be from this line, and these things would happen, well, then the New Testament comes and it's the fulfillment of all those things that were said, all the prophecies, as we would say, that those were all met and that Jesus then came, fulfilled all those things, went to the cross, died on the cross, gives us the Holy Spirit, and that's where we are now. And yet we still long for this thing that hasn't quite happened just yet, which is the restoration, the new creation that we long for. That everything would be right. So if you know your Bible, in the Old Testament, the last book of the, the Bible in the Old Testament is? I heard a lot of different words there. <laughs> I don't hear paper shuffling right now. <laughs> yeah. In the book of Malachi, we see that at the very end, he's like, here's what's going on. This is what's going to happen. And then there's this break for how many years? 400 years. And they waited for this Messiah that was promised. And that was what we call Advent on Christmas. That means arrival. 
And maybe you've heard me talk about it this last year. I said, we're also kind of in that same boat because we're also waiting, but we're not waiting for the first coming. We're waiting for the second coming of Jesus to come where everything will be made right. We see that in the book of Revelation, what that takes place. And there's actually a verse that I love. It's a section of scripture. It's one of my favorite ones. It's what gives me gas in the tank. It's what gives me hope. It's what allows me to endure knowing that this is not as good as it gets. And it says this in Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Seems like a verse that is important for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now, that there is a hope, that there is more than what this life has to offer. So when John says that we are in the last hours, the mistake that we can make is thinking about this as a duration of time. It's a kind of time. It's a section of time. And so if you look at those four areas, if we know that the new creation is coming, that we're at the very end stages of what God is doing. That's why he says the last hour. And he says the Antichrist is coming and that many have come already. And that's how we know that it's the last hour. This term antichrist is actually only used four times in the Bible, maybe five if you add the plural that he uses in one sentence. And John is the only one that uses it. It's used in 1 John 2.22, 2 John 7, 1 John 4.2-3, and as we just read in 1 John 2.18. That's it. So John uses this term, and if you think about the way the word is actually written out and what it means, it's actually, you can start to figure out pretty quickly what it means and who it applies to. Anti, meaning against, and Christos, meaning Messiah or Christ. That's really what it means. So anti, Messiah, anti, Christ. So one who is against Christ. See, the reason that we know that it's the last hour is that they can't be against something that hasn't come yet. So as John talks about the Antichrist, he's talking about what's happening now in the world that we exist in. Now we think of Antichrist and our mind usually goes to end times, revelation, eschatology, all that stuff kind of floats around there, right? And so Paul would spend a little bit of time doing that, the man of lawlessness as he would refer to him, right? Then that's what he's talking about. So Paul's talking about more of the end and what's going to happen and who's going to kind of lead that. But, we, but John's talking about right now where we are, where we exist. And there's some things that we need to understand about the Antichrist a little bit. One from his statement, it says that there are more than one. There's many. It's not just this one guy who's like the power player, but there's many that are all around and that, that have already come. They're like, this is not the first round, guys. Like, they're here now and they've, and they've been around and they're going to be around. Two is that they come from within the church. And I think that's one of the ones that gets uh, really scary. If you look at Acts, uh, this section in Acts actually talks about it as well. Acts 20 
29 through 30. This is the Apostle Paul talking about what's going on that Luke wrote. We were in Acts just recently, so this shouldn't be, you know, we should know where we're at. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among our own sheaves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. See, Paul understood as I come in, as I lay down the gospel, as I lay down the truth, as I establish leadership, there will be men, and I would imagine even women as well, I don't want to discriminate, that would come in and start to manipulate, twist the truth of the gospel to lead them astray, to confuse them, and the enemy is using them to do that. See, we're not safe because we're in these four walls. And discernment becomes really important in this process as you start to think about it. Three, they never have experienced real saving grace. Verse 19 starts to lay that out. And he says this in verse 19, and it's good for us to see this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. They never experienced that saving. They may have looked like us. They may have done things like us. They may have prayed with us. They may have given money like us. They may have sang worship songs like us. They may have spouted off some scripture and maybe even taught from time to time. But he's saying that they were not of us. In Matthew, this is, not, this is one that I threw in, so it's not going to be on the slide. But it says this in Matthew chapter 7. 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know, it's funny is that all the power is done, not through them, in the name, in his name, in your name, in your name, in your name, because there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. And what we see is that just because someone is here and they're doing churchy things doesn't mean that they're saved. He says, I never knew you. I mean, I was never in intimate relationship with you, which is exactly what John has been talking about this whole time, isn't it? That there is an intimate relationship that he has with his people. And the other thing that we need to understand is that true believers can discern their lies. If you look at cults, they have redefined who Jesus is. We have seen many cults that have come and gone that have actually come out of God's church. That they want to push an agenda, an idea, a thought, a theology, uh, some kind of glory for themselves, some kind of power for themselves, some kind of, um, I want to manipulate people to get what I want. It could be for money. It could be for sex. It could be for anything. But we see that these things happen all the time. But we see that they understand enough of Scripture to do very much what the enemy did all the way back in the garden, which is tweak and twist the Word of God just enough to cause doubt to lead those astray. Well, some would say it seems like, well, according to verse 19, it seems like, Simon, that maybe you can lose your salvation. Maybe you can lose your faith. And what John is saying is that they didn't lose their faith. They never had it. 
They never had faith in the one true Savior. They never surrendered their life to him. They were never his. In John 10, I'm going to find my notes. I'm a, I'm a wreck here today. In John 10, 28 through 30, it says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Who can be snatched out of his hand? No one. Okay, good. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. If you are his, you're his. Period. You can't... You're not more powerful than God. You're not going to take something that's God that is away from him. You can't do that. And John would say, because if they didn't have the saving faith, they wouldn't have departed in the first place. They would have endured. They would have believed. They would have held to the truth they were given. And and John's going to explain more of this in, in a couple of verses, but... Let's go back to our, our main passage. In uh, 20 through 21, it says this. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you who do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. And so now he's going to shift his focus to true believers. And he's going to talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that it seals us, that it keeps us. That idea of, of sealing and keeping Uh, That idea is very similar to how they would write letters in those days. They would write a letter up and they'd take that wax. You remember you've seen that in the movies where they take that thing and they kind of like put their their symbol over the the letter and it seals it, it keeps it so no one can get into it. And if they do, they would know who's in it. That's how it's referring to the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1.13, it says that, um, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him... We're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, that we are sealed, that we are kept, that we are bound by the Holy Spirit that resides in us. We have been anointed. Maybe you've heard that term of Jesus as the anointed one. Maybe you've heard that, maybe you haven't. This idea that it's someone that's been chosen by God for God's own purpose. He's been dedicated to God connected, consecrated for him. Uh, when we see stories like uh, the first king Saul, that he, they would pour oil on his head, and then later like, oh, he's the worst. So then they got David, and they poured oil on his head, right? That there was this pouring of oil going over him, covering him, being set apart for God, that that was an outward expression of what God was doing and sealing that individual's heart to be used for the things of God. And it's saying that we have been anointed. We have had the Holy Spirit poured out on us, which keeps us, that we have been set apart and chosen by God for his work. That's what he's saying. And now we have knowledge. You know, I love love magic because it's just, you're always like, how'd they do that, right? Every single time. And, and there was that one show where it was like the mass magician is like, magic exposed. And you're like, oh, how'd they do it? And then they show you, right? And, you know, the trick is amazing until they show you. And then you're like, oh, that wasn't that amazing. That was kind of dumb. It wasn't even hard. Like, it's just silly what they just did. Our eyes have been opened. And just like watching a magic trick, we can never see the world the same way again. 
And that's what he's saying, like, you have this knowledge now that you once didn't understand, and now you do understand, and you're not going to view the world in the same way. Because you say, like, oh, this is what was really going on. This was the deception that was happening. These are the lives that I actually believed in. And he's saying, I'm writing you not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know the truth. I'm reminding you that you know what truth is. If we have the Holy Spirit, we have this understanding. We have this knowledge and that that we are His. And what we see is that truth becomes this, this, this hinge that everything kind of moves on. If we want to have discernment, we actually need to have truth. Truth is a big part of it. We talked a little bit about it last week. The question of how can we know what is right and what is wrong has to have some kind of basis that doesn't move. Here's the problem. If you look at culture, if you look at society, go back five years, two years, one year, go back 20 years, truth has changed, right? What we value, what we say is right, what we say is wrong. And so we can't have a truth that moves, We need to have a truth that is solid, that is unmovable, and the only place that can come from is God. God is the only truth that we can use as our standard for everything that we do in life. Whatever he says is right is right. Whatever he says is wrong is wrong. We have to believe. If he is the God of light, the God of truth, we have to believe that that is true. He doesn't move. He says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? He tells us that. Have you ever wondered why the world is questioning everything lately? Like, everything is up for grabs. Even things you're like, that's just, everyone knows that. Nope. Like, I, flat earthers, if you're there, great. I, I love you. I just don't get it. Like, satellites and astronauts and the space, like, there's things happening there. Nope. Flat. I'm like, all right. Okay. The fact that we have to wake up in a day in an age where we go, am I a man or am I a woman? Just look down. (laughs) That might be too much. That wasn't in my notes. Um... (laughs) What I'm saying is this, we never would have thought ever in society up until the last few years that that would be a question, that we would say pregnant people, that we would believe that a man could become pregnant. Do you you know what's happening? Do you understand what the enemy's doing? If he can make you doubt everything, he can make you believe anything. That's what he's doing. He wants to ruin the plumb line of truth. And I do want to say this, because uh, my comment might probably came across as insensitive about male and female, because I know that there are people that do struggle through those things. And I want to be clear that I, man, I love you. I care about you. I would love to talk with you more, because God is wonderfully, and, and he's made you in a wonderful and creative way. 
You don't have to run from that. And I know that there are a lot of things there. And so I, I, I know I joke at times, but I don't want to do that at the expense of somebody else who may be searching for God. I don't want to put a wall up. John tells us these Christians have the truth of God in them. And we can see how they were like, I was so deceived before. And I can, I can, I can see clearly now whether you like the movie or not, I think the movie Matrix embodies this idea that Neo thought he was living in the world that he knew and understood. But as soon as he took that pill and he realized that he was in a computer program, he could not see the world the same way anymore. He's like, no, this isn't real, that this is fake, that this was wrong, that I believed a lie. But now I know the truth. And he was on this mission to help people see the truth and understand the truth. And I can use any of these movies because all stories are God's stories and they're all pointing to what God is doing in the world. So how, how do you call out lies? By knowing the truth. The false teachers have made them question truth and John is letting them know that they have the truth of the gospel. So here's some things that we need to know about true believers. They have the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna throw a bunch of verses up there. They're gonna be on our app. You can write them down. You can put them in the little journals we gave you. You can look them up later and use them for your life groups. Acts 10.38, Acts 1.8, 2 Corinthians 1.21. Two, they know God's saving truth. John 16.3, Ephesians 1.13 that we already looked at. And three, they can discern the lies of the world and the enemy. Philippians 1.9-10, Romans 12.2, 1 Corinthians 2.14. And then John's going to shift back to the Antichrist. and He's going to give us the definition of of who and what the Antichrist actually is. He says this, the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Everything hinges on the person of Jesus. All of history hinges on it. If you want to know what a cult is, ask them who Jesus is every single time. And if you drill on it hard enough, they will give you some kind of weird, goofy answer at some point on who Jesus is. Because they have to change who Jesus is to fit in the box they're trying to communicate. And you're like, well, they use the same words and this different definitions. Anytime you hear it, say, define what you mean when you say there is only one way to God. And if you keep pressing long enough, you'll see that there are an there are just problems with what, what they're saying and God's word. So the question is this, if, if, if they're denying that Jesus is the Christ, what is the Christ? So when I grew up, I thought that that was Jesus' last name. Mr. Christ? No, it's, it's, it's not Jesus Christ. That, that is Jesus, the son of Joseph, is actually what it was. But it's a title. And so that's what we need to understand. It's an official title given to Jesus in the New Testament. It signifies his office as anointed Savior. There's that word again. Anointed Savior and alludes to his spiritual qualifications for the task of saving his people. The Jewish people, the Israelites, were waiting for a Savior to come. They knew that this Guy was promised that would make all things right, that would take care of the separation problem between God and them, that would take care of the sin issue that keeps them from God, that all this sacrificial system was leading to something else, that was showing a greater need that we needed in our life, that all sin equals death. And that's a part of us. And that's super problematic. And that we needed someone to come to take our place, the same way that sacrifice took the place of those that they were making offerings for. 
Because here's the thing, if Jesus isn't the one to save his people, if Jesus is not who God promised in the Old Testament, come to save us from the bondage of sin and to give us new life and to reunite us with the Father, then everything falls apart. Then what are we doing? We got nothing. You see, the Christ is the one to save the people, not someone else. And what's happening here is what we talked about. We, we did some, we did some uh, church math a couple weeks ago, remember? Jesus plus anything equals... Thank you. Oh, it hurts. Oh, it hurts my heart. I don't even like math, and I can do that equation. <laughs> yeah, Jesus plus anything equals heresy. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. If you add something to what Jesus did on the cross, you have now entered into heresy. You've now entered into false teaching. You are now denying who he truly is. That's what we have to keep understanding. And if you boil any religion down to its root, to its base, it's all answering the same question. What do I need to do to be saved? That's what it's saying. What do I need to do to be saved? And they all have a different answer. But what we hear and see in the Bible is that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is given by, by grace to all that would call on his name for forgiveness. Anything else is from the enemy. Anything else is from the Antichrist. See, John tells him in, in 24 through 27 that what I have told you from the beginning, like, think about that. He's like, the message doesn't change. Like, this is what Jesus told us, and we're telling you what Jesus told us. Jesus testified to this being true. We are not changing anything. We're not adding to anything. If someone's like comes up like, oh, there's this new way of understanding the Bible, the red flags should be flying up everywhere. We don't change the message. It's the same message from the beginning. My message should not change. If I start preaching some new crazy theology and doctrine, you should, you should fire me. You should get rid of me. If anyone comes up that we think is uh, able to preach God's word and they preach something different, they'll never be allowed to preach here again if they're preaching something other than Jesus as the Christ. Jesus as the Messiah died for our sins, took our place, period. No one is going to be allowed to do that up here on our watch. And then John uses this great term that I love. And I think that it just connected with John. So when Jesus spoke about abiding in him, we've shared that verse a couple of times. I am the vine, you are the branch. If you abide in me, you'll have much life, right? So we, we, we talk about it. I think John just got it. It just, it just clicked in his head. It's like, oh, he loves Jesus. He cares for Jesus. He's connected to Jesus. He knows that Jesus is where all life comes from, all power comes from. That's where his security is in salvation. And so he starts using this word abide a bunch in the end of this section. The word is, is mino. It means to continue is what it means. To continue a certain state, condition, or activity. And so if you start to replace that word abide or mino with continue, it says let this message continue in your life. That it doesn't end, it continues. And if it continues in you, you will continue in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit continues in you and in your life. And what I love what he's done in this section is that we're seeing God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working in harmony for our salvation. The Trinity is at work. The Trinity is there. 
He says that he's writing these things to keep us and allow us to continue in our faith in the Holy Spirit. If you have him, you don't have to worry. You have security. And he says that we have no need for anyone else to teach us. Now you're like, well, wait a minute, Simon. Isn't that what you're doing? (laughs) It is, hopefully. What does that mean? It's not saying that we're not to teach anything because clearly that's actually what John is doing in this section. He's teaching them, right? And we know that Jesus in the Great uh, Commission said what? Go and teach them to observe all that I've got. So we know that we are not, not to teach, but what is he saying when he says that you have no one that needs to teach you anything? What he means is we don't need anyone to teach us anything new or different. There's, there's, there's nothing lacking. There's nothing missing that what God did was complete and perfect and, and pure. We have all we need in the message of the gospel. So you got to ask, like, what, do, what do I do with this? What, what does this mean for me? I mean, we know what we know and we don't need to know anything else. If we need discernment, it comes from the Holy Spirit and it comes from abiding in Jesus. And you just need to be aware the world is going to try to deceive you. The world is going to try to lead you astray because the enemy is running rampant in this world and he doesn't want you to have peace. He doesn't want you to have joy. He doesn't want you to have security. He doesn't want you to have, he wants you to doubt. He wants you to fail. He wants you to look someplace else that he knows can't satisfy He wants you to be miserable. He wants you to be in pain. He wants you to be in suffering. That is his goal. That is his aim for you. So of course we should anticipate lies coming from the world. We know that many deceivers, many antichrists are out there now that want to confuse you. See, knowing the truth of God is so important for every Christian. Knowing the truth of the gospel is paramount to our faith. If we don't know it, we'll never be able to see lies when they come. So I've got three quick things that I want to give to you. The first application point is this. And it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things where you're like, oh, this seems too simplistic. We're not the brightest people in the world. God's like, I get it. Let me, let me make this real easy for you. We need to spend time in God's word. Read your Bible. Can I just, just read your Bible? Like, well, that, that seems too, I, just read it, please. How are you going to know what a lie is if you're not reading truth? How are you going to understand what the gospel is if you don't know what it says? You just got to read your Bible. Spend time in his word. Get to know the lover of your soul. Because we can smell lies a mile away once we understand what truth is. This analogy has been used a hundred times. It's not original to me. But how they would help people find counterfeit bills, it's really simple. They didn't give them a bunch of counterfeit bills. They gave them real bills. And they spent a lot of time with them. And they would slip in a counterfeit bill. And they said they could find it immediately. Because they know how it feels, what it looks like, what it, the layout, the colors. They, they've, they've seen the real thing for so long that when something comes in, like, I don't know what's wrong. This is, this, is, this is off here. What is this? This is weird. That's how we're supposed to be with this discernment that we look for. Hebrews 4. This is not in, on the slides, by the way. Sorry, guys. I did it twice. Hebrews 4.12 for 
the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here's the thing I tell people all the time. You don't read the Bible. The Bible reads you. And it brings all those things out. All those lies that we believe. All those lies that we strive for. The Bible pulls them out. And then his truth kills it. That's what the Bible does when we read it. And when we spend time with it, we always want to be killing sin. The Holy Spirit shows us. The Holy Spirit would translate the word of God for us so we'd understand it. Number two, stand firm in your faith. Stand firm. Don't be shaken by the world's and its schemes. Like, but the arguments they're giving, Simon, are so good, and, I, and I'm, I'm confused. He, the enemy's not dumb. He's actually really smart, and he knows what he's doing, and he tweaks and twists and manipulates. But we know truth. We have it. We hold to this. We believe this. Like, it's okay. The world is going to say what it's going to say, and we're going to stand firm on God's word. We're going to believe what he says. We're going to trust him. There aren't many ways to God. There's one. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, period. That's what Jesus said. Stand confident in what you know. And three, the most important thing I can tell you, focus on Jesus in everything. Focus on Jesus in everything throughout the day, when you read his word, when you engage the culture. Have your eyes firmly fixed on Christ in all things and what we read and what we do. I don't know where you are in your life and hopefully this is actually encouraging to you that if you have placed your faith in Jesus then your faith is secure and no one can take you from him. Now the enemy will try to toss you up all, all that he can. But don't follow the schemes. We abide in him. We focus on him. And I love, just if you just look at how it ends, just as he has taught you, abide in him, continue in Jesus. Like, that's the big point. Like, follow, chase after, run after, call after, crawl after Jesus. That's what we do. And wherever you need to start making adjustments in your life, it's okay. Like, let this be God loving you enough to call you. You're like, I don't read my Bible very much, Simon, and I'm embarrassed. I've been coming here for a long time, and I should know what I don't know. Don't be embarrassed. Start reading a couple verses a day. Start someplace. Ask a friend like, hey, I, I just want to study God's word. Would you like, can we read through God's word together? Can we just spend time doing that? Like the enemy wants you to be embarrassed so you won't ask. And God's saying, ask a brother or a sister that loves you to walk with you because we're meant to do life together. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Do that. Know God's word. Stand firm in his faith. Don't be afraid. Let's do this. I'm going to pray, and we're going to have the band come back up, and we're going to sing some songs, and then we're going to get you guys out of here in a, in a few. So let me, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for this opportunity to come. I know that we could talk on this all day, that I've probably just scratched the surface on half of the stuff that we've talked about. But Lord, we know that there are those that deny Jesus as the Christ, and they want to lead us astray. And Lord, we ask that you would allow us to know you. Holy Spirit, we know that we're sealed by you. You've given us these promises that John has laid out for us, that our, we, we know who we are in you. 
that you are the one true way. And Lord, if there's someone here today that just needs to repent of some areas of just not believing or standing firm or looking elsewhere for, for their joy and their satisfaction, they would just reject that as a Christian. And if, Lord, there are those here today that don't know you, then maybe today would be the first day that they would actually worship you, praise you, bow a knee to you, knowing that you are the way and the truth and the life. That you have gone to great lengths to draw us to you, and we ask that you would open the eyes of men and women who are here today that would know you as well. Pray all these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen.